Welcome to the Big Self Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Prevost. And I'm your host, Shelly Prevost. We are the podcast for the Big Self School, and we offer classes, coaching, books, and media to help you rediscover your purpose and activate it in bigger ways. Yeah, and on today's episode, we have Omar Itani. I I kept coming across his work online, and every article that I read was just filled with this great content. Content, real practical takeaways. And so we reached out and are honored to have him on our show today. Omar is a writer. He's an ex-Googler. He's founder of Lovers of the Sea, and which we're going to talk to him about, and an advocate for doing meaningful work that sprouts from purpose-driven creativity. I love it. His work has been featured in Thrive Global and major medium publications such as Mind Cafe, The Startup, and P.S. I Love You. He has lived in six countries, traveled to over 40, and is a certified diver and sailor. He has a background in marketing and holds a Master's of Science and International Business from Ivy Business School and CEMS Global Alliance. Thank you. It's, uh, I'm, I love what you guys are doing and I'm excited to be here. Speaking of kind of creating a new, a new life, you know, I, I came across... Um, uh, a part where you you've written you you thought you had all the time in the world until one day you found yourself blacked out on the street broken from an accident unable to walk and you and you write it shook me to the core and reminded me that there's more to life than just merely living there's the unparalleled thrill of feeling alive and so as soon as you recovered, you took a leap of faith. You left your job at Google uh, and you, you say that you stopped talking about wanting to start a business or traveling around the world uh, or becoming a writer. And instead you write, I just did. And I really like that. And, you know, as an entrepreneur and personal development writer now, how do you challenge and inspire people to change even if they aren't having, say, a life changing event? Look, I think it's one of the most difficult things we deal with as individuals. We're either always talking, and which was my case, like, I'm going to do this tomorrow, I'm going to do that, I'm going to leave, I'm going to move, I'm going to start a company, all these things, because of that illusion that time is always on our side, right? And we have, mm-hmm. for me, it was this egoistic sense that I'm invincible, I'm indestructible, I could do whatever I want in my life, which to a certain extent, you can do whatever you want, but you've got to understand that um, you know, at any moment, anything can change. And mm. At any moment, everything can be taken away from you. For me, yeah. it was the ability to walk. I was running like 5K every day, and then suddenly I just couldn't even walk, right? And it was that sudden shift in perspective that kind of shook me and made me realize that all these dreams I talk about, all these things I want to do, sure, I could tell I'll do them tomorrow, but will tomorrow even be there? Right? That's not a question we tend to ask. And I think it's because as a society, we're kind of, we associated death as a grim and dark thing and a scary thing. But, you know, if you look at philosophy and the Stoics, especially, they used to look at death as a reminder that our time at some point would be up. So let's do what we can with it now. And I think that shift in perspective, that the realization that all you have is now, all you have is you wake up every day, it's a new day, go do what you want to do. And if you, mm-hmm. you know, you really embrace yourself in that perspective that all you have is now, make use of it and get busy doing things and not talking about them. So in the sense that 
it's the 80 20 rule right so a lot of the time we spend 80 percent of the time thinking and actually 20 percent of the time doing and i think you switch mm-hmm. that by going 80 percent of the time action and 20 percent of the time thought you really can move mountains through your life and it just it just goes back to we get more clarity in action than we get in thought and it's that active mm-hmm. switch that really could help you just start taking small action in the right direction I was just looking at a a post from one of my friends on social media and he wrote, um, he had a picture of Ernest Becker's book, The Denial of Death. And he said something about uh, this profound, he called it mortality motivation. And there's something really awakening about that. And I think, you know, Chad and I are both, uh, I think we're older than you. We're we're in our mid-ish 40s, but there is something really... um, confrontational. I think when you have these moments of openness and awareness and awakening of like, like at my grandmother's funeral a couple weeks ago, which, you know, she's, she was 94, but it's like, oh my gosh, like we all face more, it is, there is a mortality motivation. I think that, uh, I think this is what you're talking about. You also talk about life transformation, beginning with self transformation, which I love. And you say that sometimes we're our greatest obstacle. So I'm curious, um, how Omar, have you been your greatest obstacle? Like what, what got you to think that way? And then how did that realization change you? Uh, and as, and especially as you pursued kind of becoming more of a doer in your life instead of just a talker. Um, yeah, I think that re- realization really came towards the end of last year. Um, it was after, so I left, I left my job at Google about in September, 2018. Uh, I backpacked through Central America, did some traveling and then I started, um, my online business, which is something, you know, it was one of my dreams in life to start my own thing. Um, but I quickly realized that, you know, reflecting back, um, and people would tell me, like my brother would tell me, like, you're just angry all the time. You're, you're not the same person. And I didn't understand why until, you know, after reflecting on it, but. Were you angry? I was, I was really frustrated, you know, I'm, I'm so I kind of shifted my lifestyle from, uh, I moved back in with my parents. I I, I left this great job. Um, moved back to Canada. I had been living away from Canada for seven to eight years, all in this pursuit of a dream that we don't realize with time. But it was a dream that was set from as a child or as a younger years, and you tend to change with time. But we don't realize that. That perhaps sometimes we're pursuing goals that are not ours anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah. And I was just. Uh, I realized, you know, I don't have the right habits. When I started to reflect on what's happening and why am I, why is it so challenging for me? Why am I having so much difficulty in this journey? I realized that really um, I know nothing in the sense that there's so much for me to learn. Like, I don't know how to build good habits. I don't know how to set the right goals. I don't know how to manage my finances properly. Um, I don't, I'm not, I don't have the right mindset. I'm always playing, trying to play the short game. I want to you know, change things really quickly and make things happen but I'm not willing to stick with them, to commit to them, to be consistent in them. And, and I, th- I just started to, to uh, see those things and I, I landed on Atomic Habits by James Clear. I think it's a magnificent book. And he just brought the idea of identity that 
whatever is it we want to achieve. The problem is we're always trying to change the outside, but never the inside. We not you know once you see yourself as who you want to become, the change becomes more seamless. And um, that's when I just realized, you know, if you want to transform your life, it's not about changing the outside. It's not about changing the environment or what you're doing. It's about looking yourself in the mirror and saying, okay, what do I need to improve about myself? What do I need to change about myself, my mindset, my habits, my perspective that would allow me to become who I want to be as a person? And that's the mm-hmm. transformation in life be- begins with you. Yeah, I love I love that, and it does. Um, and you know, and interestingly, you know, you there. It's so right now. What I'm hearing is there's this kind of paradoxical relationship of doing the inner work, but also kind of boldly, you know, doing this outer work, which which increases confidence. You, you write and you do write about living without regrets, not fearing failure, experimenting with things, um, and and also doing this inner work without losing yourself in the hustle culture. Uh, first, what would you say is the top most important mindset mindset shift for overcoming fear and, and taking that leap of faith? Um, yeah, I think, I think that's awesome stuff. I, I love the identity stuff that, that Clear shares with us too. How, how did you go about doing that? Um, I think it's the realization that, um, so in terms of that, that shift in, in, in commitment, I just, I realize that you cannot create sustainable change if you do not, if you're not willing to stick through something for years at the time. And for me, the biggest shift and why, you know, to a certain standpoint, I'm seeing growth, growth and success with my writing is because I started to, and that's my advice to anyone pursuing a, a creative craft is to think like a craftsman, Right. Think of a, of a, you want to master something in your life, whether it's a field, it's a skill set. And what would that be? And for you to achieve that mastery, you can't do it for a few months and say goodbye to it. And you can't do it for a year or two. You've got to be willing to stick with it, right? And to wake up and do a bit of it every day. And it's like, it's what, you know, Picasso has over you know, 13,000 paintings. And it's not that he said, I'm going to paint 100 and then move on. No, he said, I'm just, this is a, a, a pursuit in my life. Uh, this is my purpose, my meaning. And um, if you look at all the great artists and writers and writers, and, and that's what they do, they just, uh, it's, it's the skill that they master uh, and they stick with it through the long term. I think that was the shift that really helped me realize that it's not just about first, the first step is to commit. And the second step is to be consistent and showing up every day and honoring the craft that you are working on mastering. And being patient. It sounds like, you know, knowing like falling in love with the process, falling in love with the craft and the work. I love that. I love that. The idea of falling in love with the process, because so much of the time we're looking at the outcome, right? Mm -hmm. We're looking at, Oh, I love the idea of being an entrepreneur. Then you say, okay, do you are you willing to wake up every day, you know, for the next few years and just work on this thing and see maybe not even see anything happening, but you're just grinding and, and putting in the work. And even for a process like you know YouTube videos, like everyone wants to be a YouTuber, but no one is willing to, you know, go through the creative process of learning how to tell a story, learning mm-hmm. how to edit videos, 
of just putting out content and having no one interact with it for maybe even a year, right? So you got to fall in love with the process. Mm-hmm. And that's what I learned through that journey. So you're making me think of um, Carl Jung talks about integration. Like that's the kind of the goal of life, really, you know, it was what he, he boiled it down to is, is integrating all the parts of ourselves into our being. So the, the conscious and the unconscious, the, uh, and, and the way you talk about it, Omar, you, you say that, uh, real happiness comes from this alignment between being and thinking and doing, and you've got this great image on your website, uh, you know, this, this congruence between what we, who we are, what, the being part, the doing part, and the thinking part. So I wanted you to just tell us a little bit more about that idea, that philosophy, and then how you got to that. Um, yeah, absolutely. It, it was definitely a process, and I really love Carl Jung. I think one of the, the quotes that um, we it's something along the lines that we can't really change anything unless we make the unconscious conscious. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and it really goes back to that sense of self-sabotage. Um, but in terms of the be, think, do, I think a lot of the time we're either in the thinking part or the doing part, mm-hmm. right? It's the doing that moves the needle, but it's the thinking that allows us time to contemplate, to, to reflect which is really important to, to, to evaluate things. But the being is, you can, all, you can do and think all the time, but being is the ability to kind of just remove yourself from that sense of mind and to observe life and to, to be more present mm-hmm. rather than always in a forward motion or in a past thinking mindset. So the being is just the ability to say, you know, yes, I'm in pain right now, uh, I'm sad, but I'm going to sit with my emotions and understand why. The being is saying that, you know, yeah, I'm in pain, but I, do I need to suffer? I don't actually need to suffer because I'm creating my own sense of suffering. The being is just to be able to be more mindful in that you wake up and you sit outside and you have a cup of coffee and you just kind of look at the sky and, and listen to the birds Right? It's that moments of pause that we get to just reconnect with ourselves, reconnect with the universe around us, reconnect with our world, and and become more of the observant rather than the thinker or the doer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? that is really hard for me. <laughs> I was just uh, yeah. t- coaching with someone yesterday around this, like this this tendency in our Western culture to be constantly doing. Um, and they were telling me, like, it is almost impossible for me to put down my load and just be, like, just to reflect, to be mindful. Um, and, you know, really, that's that's such a struggle for people. Uh, and I think it does take a little bit of being broken open that you were talking about from, like, being splayed on the, on the ground, you know, and not able to walk before we're forced to reconcile that we are human beings, we are not human doings. And so I, 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 this is a real tough one. And I think, I guess I'm wondering what, what do you, you know, in your writing, in your work, how do you help people um, get to the point where they're willing to um, endure the boredom, endure the restlessness, to, to get to like force themselves through 
the struggle so that they can just learn to be. Look, it's, it's not it's easy. It's so hard. <laughs> and, and it's so easy to you kind of, you know, you become, there's moments where you're very mindful, but then you're just kind of rushing to the next thing. And the, the um, and it happened to me, you know, like I was, I did a, silent meditation so after my injury i did a silent meditation uh one week of silence um, um a few months later but then again i went into entrepreneurship and i was just completely you know in this my own world and um until i realized that i'm kind of okay i can't keep going on like this i need to just uh, go back into the being sense and that's when the be think do better thing started for me mm. but I think um, my advice to people is 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 try to be more in awe of life, right? Like when the sun is setting, isn't it beautiful to sit just and watch the sunset for a few moments and just kind of forget about life and let it wash away your problems. And when you're by the sea and you just listen to the waves, that's a moment of awe, um, right? So all the little things around us, when you're just walking in the garden, there's flowers around you, you just you know, look at the flowers, touch the flowers. That's just little things that we could practice in being more. But for me, of a, of a more practical way of being is two things. Um, meditation. I try my best to stick to a habit of doing 15 minutes of just sitting in silence and breathing. Um, and whenever my mind wanders, I just try to okay, come back to my breath. And it wanders a lot, you know, it's just normal. Mm-hmm. And the second one is journaling. Like I love journaling, just the idea to you can use it for obviously planning and setting goals, but sometimes it's just nice to kind of reflect on what's going on through your head, right? And it's uh, it's in between thinking and, and being, mm-hmm. but the fact that you're being completely present in the moment and you're just having conversation with yourself, that's a form of, of meditation, no? Yeah. So I, and I'm really, your entrepreneur journey, so you were at Google, you have started your own business, um, cause this is the, this is the struggle. And I think for a lot of people, like our community is a lot of really busy professionals. So not necessarily just entrepreneurs, but they're just busy. They're managing kids, they're managing, uh, organizations. They're just doing a lot. So, so I want to know kind of how this applies to you and how you have figured this out because one of your life philosophies that I've, I've read about you talk about, you will find joy in life when you learn to live slow and you can build a habit of living slow only when you begin to see what can only be felt with the heart. I love this. So tell us what you mean by slow living and how did you learn that? And how did you wake up to the fact that this is actually a much better way to live? <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's beautiful, isn't it? Um, I think, yeah, slow living is just this philosophy that goes back I think I just reconnected with my Mediterranean roots, right? In the mm. sense that, you know, I grew up on the Mediterranean Sea, really loved the sea, and that's one of the reasons I, I started that online business that sparked the inspiration. But um, in terms of, of, of living slow, it's just about, for yeah, it's about slowing down and, and realizing that it's not about, you know, having that mindless hustle, it's about, you know, living within, living with a sort of creating a sense of purpose and having that timeless purpose, again, mastering a craft that you enjoy doing, whether it's painting. And I, and I obviously don't mean that by, it doesn't have to be business. Like I could just write for the, 
fun of writing because it, I could write poetry because I love it. And that having that senseless time, that timeless, sorry, uh, purpose. Um, and at the same time, it's about, you know, savoring the moments in life rather than counting them and rushing through them. It's about try to find a bit of steadiness and consistency rather than keep jumping between things and having a long-term vision, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, like, it's a slow living is just a philosophy of, of I want to create meaning for my life. I want to cultivate connections with, with uh, people I care for, make, make time for. But really, to put it into more simple practice, I think it's about when you start your day, and that goes back to being, it's the sense of try to, try to find your own rhythm, right? Try to have a simple rhythm that you stick to, it's, which is a morning routine. But, you know, for me, I love to wake up with no device. I just, I, I have my alarm by my, my phone's in airplane mode. I wake up. I don't have to respond to anyone. I kind of just set my own tone. Um, I wake up. I like to stretch my body. I like to meditate a bit. I like to have a cup of coffee, just to write a few things down in, in my journal, and just take that first hour for myself and then start my day. And if you compare that to how, you know, average, the, you know, more majority of society begins the day, they wake up, they're on the phone, there's a bunch of messages from around the world, your mind is running crazy, like thousands of stimuli already, and then you're probably waking up late, rushing to work, and which at this point is just moving to, from your bed to your laptop or bringing your laptop to you. Right? But you're automatically starting in a rush state. You're moving very quickly. Your brain is processing stimuli really quickly. And you're just jumping into a reactive mode to what the world's throwing at you. So my advice to cultivate that sense of living slow is just try to take the morning, even if it's half an hour, just to be with yourself and to move slowly rather than quickly. And that really trickles down to your day-to-day life. So true. And we wonder why we all are kind of... On like this revved up anxiety, generalized anxiety right now. Because you're right. We just, our brain is bouncing around constantly. And it's such a, it's such a countercultural message, what you're talking about, especially if you're in this kind of hustle community. I mean, you really have to critically think for yourself because I mean, I know I got, when I was in a tech startup or in the startup community, I got sucked into the hustle porn, like this is exactly in order to be successful, you have to do it this way. And you start to believe that. And so to, to consider, to entertain the slow living idea is really countercultural. And I think really hard for a lot of people that are in that soup. Yeah, yeah. It, it is countercultural. And yet, and there I'm, I'm hearing like a lot of paradoxes between like, you know, really getting a lot done and moving boldly into, you know, the world, but also this, you know, almost take it easy and, and meditate and, and live slow stuff. Interestingly enough, you know, I don't know how much Jeff Bezos plays in to this kind of way, but you recently wrote about the $200 billion man and talked about how he defined success. And we can include that article in our show notes, but how, how does Bezos define success? Um, you know, and, and how do you? So, so before I jump to that, I just want to go back to that previous question. That's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I think the key question to living slow is just asking this question repeatedly. Does this really matter to me? Right. Like, for example, reading books, it just drives me crazy that people write articles that, you know, 
50 books you need to read this year. Do you really need to read 50 books this year? Like, does right. that really matter to you? You know, and, and, and that, in a sense, is a hustle culture because it's about a numbers game and it's about just, you know, ramping through books. But I would much rather read, you know, one book a month, but read it twice because it's such a powerful book and I'm going to get the message. It's like when we watch a movie, we watch it two, three times because we love that movie, but we're not willing to read a book with so much powerful information mm -hmm. because we want to get to the next one. Right. So if we kind of always come back to that question of does this really matter to me, um, we kind of cultivate that sense of awareness and, and slow living is all about high uh, raising our awareness of what's important to us and what's not and, and leaning into what matters more than what doesn't. Is this important to me? Is that the question? Yeah. Does it matter does to it me? Does it matter to yeah. me? Okay. I like that. That's good. Now tell us about Bezos. Yeah. So, <laughs> Um, so it's actually, Bezos doesn't really define success that way. I'm not sure if he does. I haven't had a chance to ask him. But the way this article was developed is I landed on a tweet for, or like a screenshot picture or something from Bezos um, where he shares this quote that's been attributed to Ralph Waldo Emerson, which is really one of my favorite thinkers. And um, it's a really beautiful quote, and I'm, I'm happy to read it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let me just um, pull it out. Um, and so he has, the tweet says that I, it's a picture of the quote and he has it on his fridge. And he says, um, uh, Bezos writes that, I love this quote. It's been on my fridge for years and I see it every time I open the door. And this is it. To laugh often and much, to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children to earn the appreciation of honest critics and endure the betrayal of false friends, to appreciate beauty, to find the best in others, to leave the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition, to know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived. This is to have succeeded. Wow. And I think it's a beautiful, awesome. uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really powerful. It's really beautiful, very eloquent. And the irony of it all <laughs> is that it has no mention of money. Like there's nothing in there that hints that you have to make a lot of money to succeed. Um, right. Yeah. And society as a whole, I mean, um, a few months ago I was having coffee with a friend and he asked me who do you think the most successful who's the most successful person you know right and he's working in a very big tech company and been sales and really you know that coming from that mindset and I'm like you know how do you define success and he asked me um well who has the most like who's financially most well off at the point and I said that means nothing to me because to me success is who's living a life that's true to them and what you know, that's absolutely authentic to who they want to be. Um, and I think that's the problem with society now is the sense that, and I also fell for that trap for many years, of course, but um, we tend to measure success. Um, we, we tend to define success as a measure of monetary and financial wealth. When this quote uh, really resonates that perhaps success is a measure of how much meaning, joy, health, um, um, and, and, and well-being and a sense of um, a human connection we can cultivate in everyday, day-to-day -day life. Um, and I think that's a, 
much more beautiful way to live life. And so that's what I really think success is. It's about, it's, and if you actually look at the, um, there's the book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying, and the biggest regret of the dying is that I wish that I had lived a life that's truer to who I wanted to be, not what society expected of me, right? And imagine, you know, those same individuals had lived a life that's true to who they want to become and, and not having um, felt that pressure from society, which we all feel, and they would have done what they loved, and wouldn't that have meant that they lived a much more successful and happier life? And just to stick with Emerson for a moment, he actually, one of his other writings says that being yourself in a world that's all constantly trying to make you something else is your greatest accomplishment. And I, you know, with time, we tend to understand that because you kind of want to create your own things, you know, uh, but the society expects you to do something else, right? So there's always that tension that we're feeling. Um, mm. So that's, I guess, it's a bit all over the place as an answer, but really success is just a difficult thing to define. But the way I see it, create your own definition. I, and, and I, I want to add too, because, you know, something I really fundamentally believe is that, you know, personal success, it's in, whether I, and I agree with you exactly what you're saying. It, you know, to me, it is this authentic way of living. It is in alignment with my values. Um, I love that quote you read, like it is about relationships and my health and um, asking myself, is, does this matter to me? I think that's really good. But I also want to say that I don't, I think living that way in alignment with that, your purpose is what I would call it, is, you know, having monetary success, those two things aren't mutually exclusive. And so, and that's what I, I try to teach and tell people, like they actually fuel each other. And so when you're living in alignment and you, uh, you know, when ego is in service to the soul, then I think that is where we make our biggest impact. And, and we can monetize that in really profound ways. Um, and then, you know, when we figure out a way to give our gifts to serve people in these kinds of really authentic ways, then I think that's the point. And I think we can actually make really good money, you know, like kind of traditional uh, measures of success are a byproduct of that, but we, we flip it in our society. So, so I think the, the soul comes first, that purposeful work, and then we can, you know, kind of ego and service to that can really do some pretty impactful things. I, I really love that. And I actually, I have a personal story about that. And so, so when I first started, you know, when I left Google, I needed a way to make money. And I also knew I wanted to build a business. So I was like, okay, I'm going to build a business because that's how I'm going to make money. Right. Mm -hmm. But through it, when I realized that my heart, my calling really is pushing me towards writing, I knew that from the beginning, yeah. but I didn't really fully lean into it. And so with time, my question moved away from how can I make money to what is it that I want to contribute to this world? What is the gift that I want to give back uh, as a service in life? And that's when I just started writing. I wrote an article and it went viral. And then I wrote another few articles and then another one went viral. And then I started getting messages from people thanking me for what I'm writing and, and, and you know, one beautiful message said, if you could be a light for me, I'm sure you could be a light for millions of people. And I just thought that was so beautiful. And, and you know, and on Medium, you become top writers. So 
if you write in a certain category. And the first category I became a top writer in was inspiration, hmm. right? Which is what I love to do to people, just to inspire people to live a life that they love. And I started to see those. And then money obviously started to come from the articles and opportunities. I got this, this podcast and other podcasts from you because of writing. Mm-hmm. And right, it's that, like, like yep. you just talked about, that sense that there is abundance. But your, your intention shouldn't be, I'm going into this to make money. Because you will quickly lose interest in that. That's right. If your intention is to go into this, I want to contribute and I love this. I want to, you know, work through the obstacles because I really believe in this purpose. Opportunities will flow your way. Yeah, Simon Sinek says that money is the result of of your why. You know, it's the result of it's money is just energy, right? It's just flowing out of something. So, is it flowing out of ego or is it flowing out of purpose and calling? So, and I, you wanted to ask something. Sorry, Chad's trying uh, to ask I was a just going to, I mean, you, you've got a great conversation going here. <laughs> I love this. Um, yeah, no, do I'm, this all day, Omar. Your, your uh, very first article going viral, I mean, that must have certainly felt like, um, you know, a, a signpost because I think most writers coming out of the gate are going to have to psychologically deal with a whole lot of resistance against them. And rejection. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what I mean. Yeah. 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 It's, um, and I just took it as a, like, I really love, I, I've read, I'm sure you've read the alchemist. Um, mm-hmm. he talks about like omens, always paying attention to omens, um, and, and, and signs along your journey. And yeah, sure. Like the first article was viral. I just think it went viral because it was a voice that was completely void within entrepreneurship where I was just sharing the truth about my story and how it just frankly sucked. And I was like, this is the dream that everyone sells us. <laughs> no, it's not fun. It's lonely. It's just hard. And you have to sacrifice so much of your life for, for this pursuit. Um, I just wanted to, to echo it. And that's why it resonated with so many people who've been silent about it. And that's why my, my inbox was flooding and, and LinkedIn people were sharing it. But I think, um, you know, the thing with virality is that it just dies down. It goes crazy. And then spikes up again and it just dies down. And you wake up the next day and you have zero notifications (laughs) and life continues. (laughs) But it's at that moment that you say, okay, do I... And then I had like 20 articles that just flopped, most of them. But I just kept going because I loved it. Again, I I wanted to master this craft. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing is that you have to keep... The thing with life is a lot of people tell me, I I don't know what I want to do. But you can't just linger in that space of uncertainty. Ooh, yeah. you, you have to move. You have to choose a direction and kind of go into. And by reflection, you, you, once you gain that experience, you kind of ask, okay, maybe this is what I thought I want, but I'm, it's not what I want. So, okay, I'm going to lean into this then. And if you keep moving around, you will find what it is you want. Because experience gives you that understanding and gives you more clarity. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, speaking of like following your passion, you've, you've also uh, founded Lovers of the Sea that we mentioned already in your bio. Um, tell us about this project and, and why it's so important to you, what you guys are doing. Yeah. So this is the project that I started. Uh, the way it happened is, um, so when I left Google, you know, I, I come from business background. I studied marketing in undergrad, and then I did a master's in international business. Um, so I, was, I had really have no kind of creative background. Um, and I worked in tech, and I Google, 
literally the whole conversation is always about you know the next big startup the those ideas that are happening changing the world um and as a very ambitious individual and always this idea man i just wanted to do something um and so i i to to kind of you know keep those creative uh, energy flowing and um after I left Google, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I was leaning into e-commerce because as a non-tech background, I thought it was the, you know, an easy way to, to um, not an easy, but more fluid way to start a business. So I, I, um, I was traveling through Central America and I just started reading a lot about plastic pollution. Um, and, it re- and I actually saw like, you know, I was in Mexico at the time and on the Caribbean Sea and I saw just the plastic on the shores and it really bothered me having been raised by the sea. To me, this my, the sea is my source of inspiration. It's the soul. It's just the energy you get from it, the, the beauty, the calmness. And um, So I decided, you know what, maybe I should do something about this. So I just started to get to work. I had no idea what e-commerce was, how it works, um, you know, how to source product, uh, how to price product. Like I had no idea what I was doing. And there's always that voice of self-doubt creeping in. Like, are you really sitting on the couch searching for bamboo toothbrushes. Your friends are just like kind of traveling through Europe and, and working and, and at Google and Facebook. And I'm just like, what am I doing? But I just kept going. And right. And so you always get that voice, but you have to overshadow it. And uh, yeah, the journey started. It's been a really life-changing experience. I think it was entrepreneurship was the biggest personal and, and, and professional growth that I've experienced in my life. I'd love to hear your opinions on that. Um, the, the, I've been working on the project for the year and a half. Uh, things were going well. Unfortunately, with, with COVID, it really took a big hit. And in all honesty, I, I came to a point where I realized that you can really achieve a lot of things in life, but I don't believe that you can do them all at once. Mm-hmm. Right? And so you've got to work... You've got to set a priority and, and work one thing at a time. And so I kind of, because it was really hard for me to grow a business and find suppliers and, and, and grow accounts and get wholesalers. And at the same time, lean into what I really love, which is writing. And so I decided at one point, you've got to make a decision. And so now it's become a sort of a second priority. My main focus is on writing and, and moving into that and into that field. Yeah. And that's where I'm at right now. What is your your vision and your dream for your writing? Wow. <laughs> um, I haven't been asked that question before. That's a good one, honey. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, look, I think if I could inspire people to just kind of live a life that they love, to, to kind of create a lifestyle that's right for them. Um, I think I would have done well with my writing. I So there's no ultimate goal. Like, yes, I have, I have book ideas that I'm working on. I have, um, I have philosophies that I'm testing through my writing and I want to share, but it's just about, I really want to move people with my words and get them to see the beauty that's inside of them. So that they stop looking outside and comparing themselves to others and looking at different lifestyles and thinking, I wish I could have that and move more into a sense of, I love myself, I am beautiful, I am powerful, and I'm capable of creating the life that I want and to live it really fulfilled. Wow. If I could do that, 
I'm happy. Well, I would say that you are already succeeding at that vision. Mm -hmm. You know, that version of success is certainly uh, apparent, you know, and, and I, I, for one, I'm going to continue following your work because um, you've inspired me. So this conversation's been magical. Me Thank too. You. And for your gifts as a, as a writer, you're also, I mean, it's really great to hear your personality come out um, just in this, you know, verbal podcast method. And uh, it's, it's, it's a powerful message. I can see how it's, it's resonant. And um, yeah, we really appreciate you um, sharing this with our audience. I think there's a lot of great takeaways uh, Omar, is there a way that you would like uh, people to be able to get in touch with you? How can they learn more about you? Well, th- first of all, thank you for the kind words. I really appreciate it. And thanks for having me on the show. And, and absolutely, everything, uh, all my writing, everything can be found at omaritani.com. Um, you can find me there. My newsletter subscription is there. You can find all the details there. Great. Right. And also on Medium, we know you're quite the prolific writer so yes, we, and course. we'll make sure that we link everybody to your stuff in our in our show notes that's right so yeah this has been joy pure joy i'm so glad uh, to start my morning this way talking with you and giving me lots of things to think about um does it matter to me you know that's my takeaway that question mm. is going to stick with me um in a, in, a, in a really profound way so thank you for that yeah thanks Melinda. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, we could go on for hours, but I think there's a, there's a lot that we talked about today. Right? That's right. That's yeah, right. There's, there's there's lots of good nuggets here. Um, yeah, I agree, though. I could continue for <laughs> half this day. Thanks for tuning in to the Big Self Podcast. At the Big Self School, we know you want to connect with the world in a way that's meaningful and get rid of that feeling that life is just passing you by without you having anything to show for it. To do that, you need a community that supports you as you rediscover your purpose and resources to help you along the way. So we are creating books, we're building workshops, we have group coaching to help you rediscover your big self that we call inner circles and a healthy and whole community at Big Self School. So check out our two-hour virtual classes on how to build resiliency, how to discover what you really want, how to like yourself more, and how to find calm. I need that one. And many more at bigselfschool.com forward slash classes. We will see you on our next episode.